welcome to Something to Eat and Something to Read, a podcast for people who love food and books and reading about food in books. And today we have a really fun, beautiful book to discuss that has lots of delicious food throughout. I, my name is Sophie Hansen and I'm a food writer living just out of Orange, New South Wales. And I'm here as always with my co-host, Jermaine Lees, bibliotherapist, psychotherapist living in Sydney. Hi, Jermaine. How are you? Hi, Sophie. Good. I'm ready to talk about quite a different genre than what we've done in the recent past. Yeah, and I can't believe me being such a lover of this genre, I can't believe it's taken us so long to to get here. So Mm. yes, I'm excited. So do you want to tell us about the book that we're chatting about today? Yes, I do. Well, I mean, it's a great book for us because it is such a combination of food and the genre of romantic comedy, isn't it? It's, Mm -hmm. um, It's sort of almost like it was written for us to talk about. But um, so the book we're talking about is Dakala Orange for Breakfast by Karina May, who's Australian. This is another nice thing to be doing an Australian yeah. book, isn't it? So nice. Yeah, so it's just published earlier this year too, so it's still quite a new release. Mm. Uh, so it's a story about Max, who's currently living with her best friend after discovering her boyfriend cheated on her. She works in advertising but has ambitions to become a writer and all of which are interrupted as a result of not only her boyfriend's infidelity but also the fact she's been diagnosed with a brain tumour. While waiting for the surgery, her friend suggests she goes on Tinder and here she finds Johnny and they become pen pals while also cooking their way through Max's um, ex-boyfriend's family cookbook and she calls it the Four Kim Project <laughs> and Max finds both cooking and writing to Johnny the perfect way to distract herself and this also marks the beginning of her asking herself about what she really wants in both life and love. Sophie you chose this book because you gobbled it up I think I remember you saying you read it in a night kind of thing <laughs> in just one sitting and so I reckon we should start with you telling us why, what made it so appetising for you at this time of life. Yes, uh, it wasn't quite one sitting. I think it was a couple of nights. And, you know, when you just can't wait to jump into bed to keep reading a book and, you know, you're really into it. And it, and it got me from the beginning, this book. And I think the author, Karina May, is has got such a lovely, pacey writing style that just picks you up and sweeps you away from the very get-go. So, I mean, obviously... As you've said, as I've said, I I really do like this genre a lot and I love reading about food in books. I was always going to, destined to to enjoy this one particularly. But I think that as well as that, I just finished reading a really heavy book for my book club that I really felt like I had to kind of plough through. And then to come to this was just such a delight. And I think, you know, life's heavy at the moment. There's a lot going on in the world, in our lives. And, And so to pick up a book that's just you know, even after our leading lady's got to jump through a lot of hurdles, you know that it's going to end with her reaching or achieving her heart's desire. And I find that so incredibly soothing and comforting. Even, and it's it's not, I mean, there is a formula to romantic comedies, I know that, but this one had a lot of really unique twists and tales and I just loved it. So, yeah, I think that this is a genre that everybody, I mean, apparently romantic fiction makes up a quarter of the adult fiction market these days which Mm. is a huge statistic which is telling us something right like people are enjoying this stuff the Mm. more unpredictable and hectic life gets it's a delight to just dip into something where you know that there's going to be a resolution that will be happy at the end I think (laughs) what about you Jermaine how did you find the book 
Yeah, no, well, just before I go into how I found it, I think you're right. There's something about predict something that you can hold on to and make predictable or have control over at a mm. time when life feels very unpredictable. And, you know, it takes me back again to my World War II soldiers mm. who were given Jane Austen to read in a similar way, actually, was because comedy of manners or rules of society, it was all very predictable and there wasn't going to be anything out of the ordinary that you had to prepare for or stress about and I wonder if that's what you're saying about reading this book at this time is that the predictability meant you didn't have to be on the edge of your seat waiting for the next shock or feeling blindsided Mm. whether that be through the times we're living in or through what's going on in our lives so I think it's that needing to feel like you're in control of something and if you can open a book and feel in control knowing that the book's going to give you what it says on the cover or it's going to give you that happy ending, then um, mm. it's a very calming, safe mm. activity to be pursuing, isn't it? 100%. Um, um, for me, reading this reminded me like actually how long it's been since I've read a romantic comedy that's sort of that also coming of age mm. style story or that that real true love beginning story. So actually what it did for me was it took me back to my 20s when I only really read this genre like so it was sort of this uh weird revisiting of um who I was you know 20 something years ago it may have helped that I was actually away on my own for a couple of days when I read this so I could just kind of sink into becoming that 20 something reading about trying to navigate becoming an adult and all those adult things you need to do in your early 20s it was really helpful because I think it helped me feel much closer to that version of who I was when I was trying to figure out adulthood or relationships or friendship, daring to dream about, you know, future successes or travel. And I think the other thing Karina did really well was tapping into that vulnerability and bravado that sort of symbolizes Mm. young adulthood. And it felt very, very authentic. And I mean, it helped that Max was put in such a vulnerable position as she was facing such serious surgery and recovery but I think what it tapped into in me was that feeling of wanting to be this independent adult but also the times when you need to feel like a child again and still have your parents there to support you and I think it tapped into that very normal transition process into adulthood and you know I've got two young adults now who are about to navigate that time and it made me kind of think more about Actually, it's not straightforward and complicated time. It is a really mm. turbulent time yeah. of life. So, yeah, it was sort of twofold. I revisited my younger self and it, it made me think from the perspective of being a mother of, of kids who are going to be negotiating this mm. this stage. Mm. I hadn't thought about it that way. And, and like you, I think my reading diet throughout my 20s was pretty much romance as well. There was a lot of Danielle Steele in my <laughs> 20s, especially yes. my early yep. 20s. <laughs> and, and you mentioned authenticity before and I think that Max, the protagonist, is written with such such authenticity, especially the parts around her surgery. And I learnt after finishing this and I listened to the author on a few podcasts that she actually went through that herself. So she, in 2019 and 2020, she had two brain surgeries for a thankfully benign tumour. One of the sections that I thought was just so powerful and real was 
when she is going through that process and she's she's in ICU after her surgery and she's asking the nurse if she could have some headphones to listen to an audiobook because she wanted to sort of see if her brain was, you know, where she left it before the surgery. And mm. that felt really real to me. Like it, it felt like something that we would do. Uh, you know, I can imagine myself in that position mm. feeling like that. And and she said in a podcast that this is exactly what she did do. She she wanted to listen to an audio book as she was in recovery just to kind of make sure she was she could pick up where she left off. And I thought, you know, that she yeah. really drew from that in a really, really beautiful way. I was thinking just as you were talking then that, yeah, of course, there's that shock of do I still recognise myself? Am I still going to be able to mm. hear stories in the same way? But actually, if you think a bit more psychoanalytically, that is also very true of this stage of life, isn't it? Where will I recognise myself? I'm becoming this person that parts of me don't recognize and other parts do and how do I know that I'm still my brain is still my brain working in the same way as it was when I was 15 compared to Mm. 25 or whatever that might be that this whole time of young adulthood is a time of meeting new versions of ourselves and saying goodbye to old versions and that's actually if you think about it too hard it can feel like quite a frightening time and it's sort of a similar idea to having brain surgery and then waking mm. up and thinking, oh, my God, will I, am I actually still the same person that I was before I went to sleep? Mm. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that, but it makes sense, doesn't it? And, you, yeah, it is such a crazy time, your 20s, isn't it? You are growing so much and you still need elements of your childhood and you still need your parents, but you still need – then you also mm. want independence and, yeah, it's a confronting time to navigate, I guess. What about the food element as a food as a sort of mm. one of Maxine's sort of ways of discovering herself and, and propelling herself forwards? Did you, did you think that was well done? Mm. I thought it was really well done using food as this kind of key to finding herself. And I think it added a lot to each person's character actually. And it's sort of, uh, you know, brought out strengths on the one hand, but it also reinforced how unlikable her what was his name? Scott, the ex-boyfriend. Scott, yeah, Scott How unlikable his fan, or his mother in particular was. Oh. I love the idea of the cooking project as a way to get to know someone because, mm-hmm. you know, we're not of the Tinder age. So I felt a bit dubious at first, like reading, a oh, God, a Tinder dating story because I kind of still struggle with how that's an organic way to kind of meet someone about a relationship because I haven't experienced it. It actually made Tinder seem much more accessible <laughs> to yeah. me and less frightening. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah, like you know, I, I can I get the pen friend thing. I get the getting to know someone through that, and then have, what a fun project to kind of a reason to be in touch with someone. Having that kind of joint project of cooking and and I liked how cooking was a way of rewriting her story. I think she says it in one point that she. Yeah, yeah, she claims a piece of theirs to re, as in her ex boyfriend's family story to rewrite her own, and I thought that was that was quite nice. And I, I, I also made me laugh how she makes the comment that just like on Tinder, when they're cooking for each other, they can only judge each other on the appearance of their food. There's yes. no other sense involved, which is very true of getting mm. to know someone, isn't it? And mm. it, it did make me think about the lack of flavor. And the one dimensionality that might come from, you know, online relationship. But actually the lack of flavour 
that also comes from her relationship with Scott and his family kind of gets mm-hmm. brought out as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it was very one-dimensional, wasn't it? <laughs> I mm. think she dodged a bullet there with his whole family. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved I loved all the food in the book. And interestingly, in an interview I heard Karina was saying she's actually not a big cook herself. Like she loves eating but cooking is not something that she does a lot for joy. So she she had a friend's brother who was living in Geneva who, you know, which is obviously very close to France, who really loved French cooking and he was her kind of consultant mm. um, with the food part of it and I loved that sort of bit of detail. And I, I thought it was so funny that that her ex-Scot's mum, who, you know, they've got a French surname and French connections or whatever, had had put together this Laurent family cookbook and it was just contentious <laughs> and, and it's just, I don't know how I like, I think food is not a status symbol. and Well, that symbolised her, didn't it? The mum. Sorry, just a cutting in there, but yeah, the the food you know, being this pretentious status symbol was actually a true representation of her. Uh, definitely, yeah, definitely. The fact mm. that she cooks fancy French food somehow, sort of, she feels superior because of that. But I thought that having Max and Johnny, who is her Tinder friend, cook their way through the cookbook partly in revenge, partly for fun, partly as a flirtation. I thought it was a really clever plot device actually and it was a good way to poke fun mm. at, at her ex. You know, having a sort of a, a reason to check in every day or whatever with photos and, and I thought it was really mm. cute. I really liked the way she wrote that dialogue. So, yeah, I thought I thought it was great. And then, you know, the food further on in the book where she goes to France and she finds herself in this sort of magical Airbnb and she's been cared for mm. by Suzette, who was Canadian, I think. Anyway, and, and Suzette loves her chickens and has written a whole cookbook about her chickens and the eggs that they lay. And I mm. wondered, here am I going a bit deep, but I wondered if all the talk of eggs and the dishes she ate in France, you know, pasta carbonara and toad in the hole and egg yolk wonton and soup and French toast and salad de soise, I wonder if that was a nod to Max's new beginnings at, at this particular turning point in the book. So mm. I wondered, you know, eggs, new beginnings, but maybe I'm just trying to like you and look deeply into things. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, it's, well, this is the you're really off enjoy <laughs> of having conversations. I think I might be clutching at straws. Well, eggs are the beginning of life, aren't they? Came up in Ella's book we did, didn't it? Yes. That this idea about new beginnings, and I think that's a really lovely way I think about it. And I, I don't, this is what I hope our podcast does for people, that people aren't listening because they think you and I are the expert on books and then we should prescribe what they read, but that you and I read and then talk about the associations that come to us, no matter how far-fetched or how literal or how concrete or how daydreamy, and it helps other people set off their own associations with books Mm. because that's actually the key relationship is what you get from those words not what you get told to be God or not that there's a right or wrong, but actually how it opens a doorway into your mind and makes you think about life a bit differently or a bit more deeply, mm. <laughs> like you with your eggs then. Or, yeah, that that actually this is just a, a conversation analyst once said, it's very difficult to surprise oneself in one's own mind. And I think that's the beauty of therapy is that you get surprised by someone else's perspective on you in the same way that reading a book and then being able to talk about it with someone else allows you to be surprised about maybe also what you got out of that book. 
I don't want to hear you talk about being far-fetched or thinking Ah. too deeply again, Sophie. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Jermaine. Well, and I I really love what you said there, and I guess that's why book clubs are so popular the world over because Mm. we love to to read something and have that kind of shared experience but then bring our own spins and perspectives on on that particular work or that particular book. Yeah. um, I love that. Okay, what about the IKEA thread through this book, which I thought was so funny? (laughs) I I loved the Ikea thread. I loved it too, but I found it so funny that she she set Ikea as a place of comfort for her author or for her protagonist, whereas Mm. I feel the opposite about Ikea. I avoid it at all costs. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? It's funny because my my first reflection is the same kind of the Ikea horror story, the jokes about Ikea getting lost in the maze of Ikea, never getting out the crowds. But actually, it made me think about IKEA a bit differently. And this idea of IKEA being this home away from home, it's like another one-dimensional kind of home, Mm. isn't it? Because it's a bit similar to the photograph food. Those lovely room sets in IKEA are kind of like this fantasy. It's a bit like being in a doll's house, isn't it? Mm. Like you can kind of go, oh, I imagine if I had that furniture there or how clever that they used that Ikea hack in that way and um you know it, it actually reminded me of my daughter used to love changing her she still loves changing her room around and and decorating and her dream job when she was probably 13 was the thought of being an Ikea stylist like who actually got to you know build these sets but I think what she was pre tapping into was that fantasy of building a home mm. or building your own space and actually, there's a quote that Max says, it's so tempting to seek out the comfort of the orderly kitchen and living room displays to sort through my feelings about Scott and the predicament I've landed myself in. And she chooses not to do that, but to actually have to be in reality. So there's something there around putting herself in that fantasy world as this kind of childish comfort. But this is the coming of age time, isn't it? Of, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have to walk the streets myself and work my own stuff out. So I had that the first thought of, oh, isn't that it's a very clever device for thinking about leaving behind fantasy and being thrown into reality. I had just before that read an amazingly fantastic book. Actually, it's a book I ha- has not left me at all. It's called Soldier Sailor by Claire Kilroy. I don't know if you've heard of it. No. It's a new release as well. She's Irish. It's not a romantic comedy at all. It, it's a book about early motherhood but it's written like as a monologue almost but by the mothers it's as though the mother's writing to this baby and talking about the chaos of life and trying to figure herself out and before I read it I thought oh I don't really want to read a book about new babies like I'm kind of at the other mm-hmm. end of young adults but I think what made it so fantastic was it's actually a book about what happens to you when you become a mother and how that identity change actually continues on throughout your life. So I read this book about this mother trying to make sense of herself as a mother of a new baby um, in the context of making sense of myself as a mother of young adults, like the huge shifts that occur with deeply within us um, that actually have nothing to do with our children but or mm-hmm. have to do with us and how we navigate these roles was so cleverly done but sorry I digress because there's also a scene in this book about going to Ikea with a toddler (laughs) on a Sunday and that felt very real because the toddler 
walk wanders off and gets oh. lost and it's packed and there's kids crying everywhere and there, there's this huge scene and they're calling out their child's name and they're looking in cupboards and there's the bright lights and it's the overstimulation and it's like, oh, when will these arrows lead me to the exit? And, you know, I mean, who doesn't have an Ikea horror story? So it was sort of refreshing to read about an Ikea comfort story because actually we probably all have a bit of them too somewhere. We all have Ikea sure. furniture, don't we? We've all experienced yeah. that. Yeah. I know. I'm looking around my house right now and I'm like, even though I try to avoid it, there's quite a lot of Ikea in my house. Mm. But I think maybe it's that idea of a f- formula again and I'm not in any way suggesting that this book is formulaic but you know that we love the whole idea of a romantic comedy formula and Ikea is the ultimate formula isn't it it's like wherever you are in the world you Mm. walk through an Ikea and and you sort of follow the same pattern and you know that there'll be challenges (laughs) you'll have to jump through some hurdles there'll be screaming toddlers or be crowded here and then it'll be stressful there but you know that you will walk out at the end of it with like 500 tea light candles and some ginger snaps and it'll be okay. You know? <laughs> so maybe there's comfort it's in that. Ultimately, an exit. Yes, you know you will get get out eventually with your um, ginger thins <laughs> and maybe oh, meatballs. I've never really liked those meatballs. So anyway, yes. So I I thought that was a really clever plot device. Mm. I mean, it's not a spoiler, but the obviously Max, the character, loves IKEA, but because she and Johnny aren't ready to meet yet, they hide the. I think. To give him a copy of the cookbook, she hides it in their local IKEA, mm. doesn't she? But then I was so nervous. I was yes. like, "What if someone else takes it and thinks it's a prop, or what if it gets moved and Johnny <laughs> doesn't get the book?" So that was quite fun. Yes, I loved that element. What else did you want to pull out from any other threads that you wanted to pull well, before we move on? Yeah, reading this book, as I said, and making taking me back to a different time, and it just made me think about like how romantic comedies actually do or can feed us. Again, proving that the right book at the right time is never a specific type of book or genre, or uh, you know, it, it can be anything. And it made, and, and I guess it what it made me reflect on was, you know, there's something about having a balanced diet with your reading, just like there is with your eating, isn't there? And the meal sometimes knowing, as you were saying in the beginning of this episode, needing a book where you know that love's going to conquer all at the end is exactly the meal you need. And I, it made me realise I probably binged too much on this genre in my 20s and then I found myself feeling frustrated with knowing the end, knowing the formula and wanting some ambiguity and mm. I guess it's just a different stage of life then too. Now I guess after reading this I think, oh, you know, sometimes this is the seasoning I'm going to need when I when I want to restore those sort of feelings of hope in my world. And I, mean, I did read Curtis Sidenfeld's romantic comedy, you know, a few months ago, and I loved it because I knew it was going to have a good, happy ending. But I also was drawn to that book because I knew the characters were older. It wasn't mm. people in their 20s or navigating the side of life. And I, because I thought I'd grown out of that. And now I realise the coming of age me is still deeply within me and probably could do with a bit more getting in touch with her again. And and that's what this book did for me. It kind of helped me revisit a part of a person I was and then reflect on on what came after. And I I think that's another really important thing that books can can give us is that opportunity to revisit younger parts of ourselves or as Joan Didion famously said, if you don't do that, you'll find that those parts will come knocking on the door at 4am 
and won't leave you alone until you get up for them. So <laughs> yeah. it is important to stay in touch. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so true. But and, and we talk about this all the time in this podcast and this is, I guess, what a big part of bibliotherapy is that you need different kinds of books at different stages in your life and different you know, you might be going through something and so a certain kind of book really meets a need that you have. I think it's good to lean into that. And just like we've talked about this kind of concept of guilty pleasures when it comes to food, I don't think anyone should ever feel guilty about, you know, diving into a deliciously comforting, pacey, well-written book if it's a romantic comedy or otherwise. You know, I think there's should be no such thing as, as guilty pleasures. You just read what you feel like reading and you take what you mm. need from it. And, you know, for this one. You trust your gut. Mm. You know what you need to eat or consume and you follow it. Yeah. Yeah. And if, you know, I know a lot of my friends at the moment are saying and have been saying for a while that they're finding it hard to read, to get into a, a reading groove because there's so many mm. distractions or they just can't steal their minds or often by the time they hop into bed at night, they're just so tired and they'll read like half a page of, some big deep book that they've heard about that they should read and they fall asleep, you know. Whereas for me mm. to, to be like yeah. busting to get into bed to read this book, you know, that's like actually a friend of mine who's a podcaster was talking about um, she used to work at the ABC and she said that the, the goal for every podcaster was to have the sit in the car moment, you know, that people have arrived home but they're still sitting in the car listening to the end of it, you know. <laughs> and I feel like that staying awake all night reading a book is the sort of equivalent of that. Yeah. But and I think, you know, obviously having the food in there for me, it was like, of course I was going to be into it. And I was thinking about romantic comedies with with strong food themes and, and then I was like, God, there are so many. I hadn't really thought about that. And, of course, because everyone's interested in food and ever more so, you know, cookbooks are kind of going well these days, I hope. And, mm. and of course, it's a genre that we're leaning towards when we need a bit of comfort. So, And I was Googling this and I, there's some such funny names books I've never heard of but here's a few of them in the genre of romantic comedies with food for butter or worse uh, fake it till you bake it <laughs> gouda friends and donut fall in love they're all actual books that have done really well <laughs> so it's a whole world there but thinking of ones I've read I of course Nora Ephron you know the queen she's the OG with this but there's mm -hmm. another writer writer Jenny Colgan I don't know if you've come across her she's mm. written heaps of books but my oh, mum gave me oh yeah well mum gave me a while ago Little Beach Street Bakery and it's just delightful you know like it's really sweet she writes books about you know feisty woman who's moved to a small Cornish town and she starts a bakery and falls in love with a hunky beekeeper and but they're just delightful. They're, and, you know, I guess that could fall into the guilty pleasure ca sort of category, but I don't see why because they're just lovely. Um, no. But as you say, balanced diets. Mm. And just before we move on, I just I, I came across this really cool photo essay the other day about romantic book covers in the pudding. I think it's called pudding.cool. Anyway, I'll put the link in the show notes. And it was so interesting to see how, I mean, we're not talking about romantic comedy so much, it's more romantic fiction, but how the book covers have changed over the last sort of few few decades. And, you know, they used to be like the clinch. So you'd have the kind of semi-shirtless man and the damsel in distress holding on to him. And and whereas now, fast forward, <laughs> you know, 30-something years, it's generally a kind of feisty career woman, mostly graphic, like illustrated covers, quite cool, quite cool design that people will feel okay about sort of having out in public. Like, you know, I remember we went through like a Mills and Boone phase at school, and, but you'd be so embarrassed because the covers were so yeah. shocking. You'd slip them into something else, often our 
him books at school. Um, <laughs> but I thought that was so interesting how to see the progression of the covers and um, and what they look like now as opposed to 30 years ago. It's so different. Genre just keeps growing. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember the whole gold letter writing covers was like it's a put you family in the genre and I, I like how actually the covers are becoming much more you can't re- necessarily tell the genre from the cover mm. anymore. Yes. Uh, as you say, it's um, quite clever. Which, yeah, I think is really good. So should we move on to our letter, do you think? Yes. Would you like to read it? Okay. Yep, sure. Dear Jermaine and Sophie, I was living in Tasmania before I met my partner five years ago and his life brought me back to Sydney, the place I worked so hard to leave behind. He has children that I adore and I understand we can't leave until they have left school and are comfortably on their own journeys. However, for me right now, I feel so completely torn between a life I loved and miss and the family I love and would not be able to live without. As an amazing compromise, we have bought a church on the same peninsula to be a place to slow down and reconnect to ourselves, to nature, to each other, and of course, for me, to Tasmania. This will also be an Airbnb to share with others to do the same. I'm hoping for a prescription and recipe for me to help slow down and reconnect mostly to my own heart, and I'd like to share this with my guests as a wonderful welcome and just a big old hug, which is what I want this place to feel like. Thanks for existing. Aww. And also, I think we would all like the link to book that Airbnb because it sounds just divine. <laughs> we'll seek it out, guys. It sounds like the plot for a romantic comedy in a way, doesn't yes, it? Yes, church on our... a peninsula. Yeah. We all like it. Mm. Do you want to go first with your prescription? Yes, I'd love to. I was really taken with, well, the romance of this, of, of having, you know, the romance of being in love with a place mm. that, and home where you live and the the love story of being able to, you know, fall in love and find love unexpectedly, it sounds like, and then have this family that you can't live without. And then how do you compromise on that or make both work for you, I guess, which took me to a book that I read quite a few years ago that I thought explored this so beautifully. And, in fact, I felt the tone of the letter was very similar writing tone to the tone of the book I'm going to recommend. It's called Personal Effects by Carmel MacDonald Graham. She's an Australian writer. I think it might be the only book she's written actually. It's a story about these big choices that we all have to make in life and and when they're quite ambiguous choices as well that we have to make for love or family. But more importantly, it's about how we make sense of them internally ourselves. So this is the story of Lilith and Ross, and they're a middle-aged couple. Their entire marriage has been spent travelling around the world for Ross's work. Their children are now in their early 20s, and Lilith particularly wants to stay in Australia, and specifically this is set in Western Australia on the turquoise coast, and it's so evocatively written about the ocean and the beaches and um, nature and of course Ross still needs to work and he has to take a job back in Calgary which is where they lived 
20 years ago with very small children and so Lilith has to pack up her life and start again over there and so the book's her reflecting on their whole life together basically and the complexities of identity and the stage of life she's at now and how she manages to kind of stay connected to herself. So I thought Mm. Lilith might provide some good company for our letter writer because it is a story about slowing down, reflecting and reconnecting. So, yeah, that's my recommendation. That sounds great. I I really want to read that book too. Thank you for that, Jermaine. Well, while you're reading your book, you could be sitting with a cup of tea and eating a beautiful squishy almond ricotta and apricot cake. So I was thinking about what would be a nourishing kind of hug, and for me it's cake. And I was also thinking about if you wanted to make something for your guests And I'm thinking about that too because I am literally cooking right now for our first guests in our Airbnb here on the farm. Well, not Airbnb, our B&B, who are arriving tomorrow, which I'm so excited slash nervous about. So I really feel our letter writer wanting to kind of create this very welcoming, nurturing space through cake and nice linens and all the things. So I was thinking about a kind of cake that was a bit of a cut and come again situation that would last for a bit in a tin and, and I think it's got to be this one. So it's it's made with ricotta and almond meal and eggs and all the other things. But and, and it's really about the stone fruit. And I'm hanging out for stone fruit here in Orange. So where are we? We're in October. We've got another month or so before hopefully the cherries and the apricots come and then the peaches and all the other deliciousness. Mm-hmm. So for now I might do it with rhubarb or blueberries or strawberries or maybe a whole lot of them. But it's really easy, mm. this recipe. It's a bit of a mix and melt situation and thanks to the beautiful ricotta and the dense almond meal, it's it's squishy and it's just moist and it's like a big hug. So I hope that people love it. I really do because I'm making it to put in our Airbnb for tomorrow, <laughs> so I hope they like it. <laughs> but I think that, um, yeah, it's got to be cake, right? Like that's how we kind of, one of the nicest ways to show someone a welcome and and how much you want them to be comfortable in the space by putting a freshly made cake out I think so that's my recommendation definitely and of I think course that's so true about it feeling like a warm hug you know a freshly mm, baked cake yeah definitely and I don't know the ricotta it sounds beautiful does that mean I have to book into your Airbnb to be able to try a piece <laughs> no well of course I will put the recipe in the show notes that our beautiful subscribers will receive <laughs> I actually just realized this morning as I was thinking about this that I want to make this cake and I have no ricotta, but I do have a lot of milk, so I'm going to make it and I'll share the, which is actually really easy. People think it's not, but homemade ricotta is is not a difficult thing to do. You've just got to have quite a lot of milk on hand. So I'll put the process for that in the show notes as well, and it's so delicious and so much more creamy and fresh and obviously it's fresher because you've just made it. But, yeah, if, you, if you've never made ricotta at home and fancy it, giving it a go, I'll put the recipe in as well. Be extra oh special. great and what fruit will you put in for this weekend as so, you haven't got stone fruits yet i have got heaps of rhubarb so i'm going to oh. roast the rhubarb down first oh. to soften it and then i'll fold it through the batter with my homemade ricotta and eggs from my own chookies like suzette in our book i do i do love our chooks <laughs> <laughs> we've got one called dolly who keeps coming into the kitchen so hopefully dolly's laid for us i'll make a beautiful cake <laughs> that will soothe me it's been a funny old week and um I think I need some nice warm cake you need a warm hug as well I do I think we all do don't we it's crazy time 
Thank you so much for everything, Jermaine, today and all your insights as always and everybody for listening. We are so appreciative of you, especially our Mm -hmm. subscribers who help us keep chatting to you. Is there anything else you wanted to share before we sign off? Well, only just to say also thank you to all our letter writers. We've had some great letters and recently a couple of letter writers from previous episodes writing to us just to update us on how they found their recipes and their books and and where they're at in their lives now and it's just I just meant a huge amount to think that yeah we've we've helped in some small way Mm. Uh, so yes continue to write please and yeah we can always use more letters please do and actually we should put some of those um anonymously of course and if the letter writer was okay with it be nice to share some of those on the Substack because people Mm. might be interested to see the evolution of the story but obviously we'll check before we post anything but yeah please write in and you and what's the amazing generous gift that they get when they write into us if we use your letter you get to get it you get a case of wine from single vineyard sellers a case of their Highgate range of your choice so yeah it's an added incentive to and you can always drink wine with Kate absolutely you can (laughs) drink wine with anything (laughs) actually there's a sparkling there oh nice yeah that'd be perfect I was just thinking that the next time our next episode will be coming out right before the end of November right before Christmas and it's almost time for us to pull out uh, Jeanette Winterson uh, Christmas Day's book which has become my Christmas um, ritual thanks to you and I just want to mention I don't know if you caught it she spoke on the book show last week Jeanette because she's got a new book out and she was telling oh my gosh she was telling some ghost stories it's just delightful I'll put I'll put the link in the show notes because if anyone's read Christmas Days there's a ghost story a couple of ghost stories in there oh my gosh it's so funny Jermaine she's talking about the two ghosts that live with her in her house and so pragmatic and so sweet she's like yeah. oh, I don't want to kick them out because they've got to be somewhere I just don't want to turf them out onto the street they're a bit <laughs> annoying but they're fine it was a delightful interview so it made me think of you and Christmas and ghost stories so it's a funny Venn diagram but I'll pop the link to that in the in the show notes <laughs> any of our long-term listeners who know our love of Jeanette Winston will love this will love this interview mm. so yeah we'll, we'll have to start bringing out the oh, good. And actually, yes and for those long-term listeners who have also started reading Christmas days in preparation for Christmas It'd be great to hear what your favourite story is from those 12 12 days of Christmas too. So you can always write to us from the newsletter, can't Mm. they, on Substack? They can write to us or just direct message on Instagram as well. Yeah, and please do. We'll have to have a chat, cook up some something fun for Christmas this year. So, well, thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks to Christy Reading, our producer, for stitching together all our ums and ahs and um, Smith & Jones for the beautiful music. And we will be back in a month right before yeah. Christmas. Thank you. We'll see you then. Sometimes I get to thinking I ought to take up drinking Just to drown out all these memories Maybe I could down a whiskey bottle And head out on that highway Just to see if it'll bring some peace But I ain't a drinking girl I'm just a small town woman trying to find my way in a lonesome world and I
Small town woman trying to walk a straight line in a crooked world. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, my mind it starts wandering, wanting to roam. I get to thinking about that man. I wonder if he's headed south again, or maybe I'll follow where that booted baby led. But I am a wandering girl. I'm just a small town woman trying to find my way in a lonesome world. And I ain't a southbound girl. Just a small town lady trying to walk a straight line in a crooked Right off of my mind. Oh, maybe I could take some morphine. God knows it's pain relief I need. It works better than waiting for some holy sign. But I ain't a medicating girl. I'm just a small town woman trying to find my way in a lonesome world. I ain't a morphine mama I'm just a small town lady Trying to walk a straight line in a crooked world I'm just a small town woman Trying to walk a straight line in a crooked world